Hello and welcome ladies and gentlemen to episode 37 of the Footmarks podcast. I'm your host Pehram Kazi who you can find at defmango on Twitter and with me as always is Jared Kimber who you can find absolutely everywhere and our title for today's Footmarks podcast is the Aussie Megalodon and I can assure you this is not a podcast about a prehistoric Australian shark. It's actually about the legendary Australian women's cricketer Meg Lanning who retired last year from all formats. Uh, in november but actually played her last game all the way back in feb and jared i suppose just to kick things off let's talk about the meg lanning cut to begin with you know a shot that was synonymous with her batting and it's fitting how it's also the shot that uh, got her her last boundary in australian colors uh, just how iconic is it you know, I, i remember the first time i saw her and I, i can't remember what series i was covering or how how long back it was and i remember just thinking you could put like a small target out on the field and she would find it with her cut and hmm. i reckon that whoever she was playing and and remember that the circles are tighter in women's cricket as well yeah. and there were three players behind point and clearly everyone knew what shot she was going to play and she just kept doing it and I, and it always reminded me of um Graham Pollock hmm. there's a conversation with Paul Sheen who probably knew Um, Meg Lanning, um, when she was coming up as well, um, a Victorian cricketer who was a really good cricketer but never had a great career. But and, and I remember Paul Sheen saying that when you played against Graham Pollock, it was like playing against a batter who who was using a set square. Mm. Like you couldn't set the field because his ability to find the gap was so accurate compared to you know other players. Um, uh you know and it's it's something i've heard talked about with sobers and and lara as well you know just that ability to do that and and that was the thing with meg lanning she was like i'm going to play the cut shot you know i'm going to play the cut shot you're going to try and bowl middle stump line maybe angle the ball in maybe even swing it in or spin it in hmm. you're going to put three fielders behind point on the offside and i'm still going to play the cut shot hmm. right it's just i i love that and and you know <laughs> she obviously could play other shots but there's something kind of cool about a player just going yeah but i want to play this shot and i'm going to play this shot and good luck so you're saying she was as good at the cut shot as rusty from bluey was very similar <laughs> uh, you know i meant that's why i mentioned her in the bluey video her and grand pollock were the first two players that came mm. to mind of of it's the accuracy of hitting mm. the gap so there are lots of players who like to hit the ball Do you remember the Damien Martin story about Stephen Fleming do you know that story no i do not so damien martin was quite loose through the offside but mm. timed the ball absolutely brilliantly and so new zealand came up with the a fielding thing where i think they had like two points in a was it uh, backward point forward point and like a gully and they just bowled length and back of a length outside of stump and said eventually martin's going to hit one of them and and get caught and it completely screwed with damian martin's mm. um you know uh um a form in in that in that in that period that's what's supposed to happen right like even if you're a great player even if you're Brian Lara when Australia used to have the you know the back uh, back of point two gullies to him you could see him just be like okay um i can't quite slash the same way whereas Meg Lanning and Graham Pollock are just that other level of like no 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 we're still going to do it it's just that we're going to pick the gap over and over again and uh, we can control the ball on the ground so it doesn't matter and uh, that so that's always something that I've thought about with her of just how brilliant she is at that particular skill yeah recently i was uh, building my perfect batter with all of these different shots and skill sets and i actually went with inzi on the cut because i was like okay late cut and square cut both really good so i picked inzi but in hindsight now i'm thinking maybe i should have gone with meg lanning anyway uh, her farewell was uh, somewhat imran khan esque such such that he, she played her last game in a trophy winning effort versus mm-hmm. south africa in the t20 world cup final 2023 in cape town uh which was obviously her fifth world title as australian captain so not quite like imran wasn't at that level for sure and another difference was that imran retired at the age of 40 and he retired in the direct aftermath of the 92 triumph whereas meg had not even turned 30 yet at that point when she played her final international game she was uh still about to turn 30 like next month so uh still 29 and she was in her prime she was coming off a stellar year in odi cricket averaging 50 plus striking at 80 plus which was a combination that she had completed six times in her career at that point and she was also fair, doing fairly well in T20 internationals 
a bit of a lean year compared to her previous years, but still very, very good. And she also didn't just announce her retirement after winning the cup. She waited till November, nine months later, where she announced it in a tiny press conference, very low-key. Quite shocking news, you'd have to say? I wasn't shocked, no. Hmm. I think... I don't think she's... I think she's born to play cricket. Hmm. I don't think she's born to be famous. Hmm. And, you know, I did a... um, Anisha Gosh and I did a podcast a few years back about her. And it was like, she never quite felt comfortable with that side of things. And it was always pretty clear that that was the case. Uh, so I don't know if you've ever come across her sister, Anna Lanning, but like Anna is like very gregacious and outgoing, played for Victoria. I don't think she ever went on to play for Australia. They just mm-hmm. couldn't be more different. Um, and so I, 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 remember, I mean, I interviewed Meg probably twice, but I know mm-hmm. one long interview I had with her. It was definitely the hardest interview I've ever done. She didn't want to be there. She didn't say anything. I'm not sure she answered in words for some questions. <laughs> One of them might have been, huh? Um, <laughs> I, and, and on top of that, I think we, we're so used to men that we've forgotten that, that women athletes have a different kind of career trajectory. Mm-hmm. And, and it's twofold, really. One is that they start professionally so much earlier than men do, mm. right? You know, she's playing for Victoria at 16, it's very rare in, in men's cricket. Um, and they often retire earlier. Sometimes it is be just because they start earlier. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's also, it's like a, a, a personal and a family thing. You know, work-life balance is very different with women than it is with men, hmm. right? You know, we think absolutely nothing of a man going on a cricket tour for two months, right? Yeah. Um, and if you're a woman, that's just, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. And and I've had so many women cricketers tell me that um, over the years. I, I think we did a, a podcast with Kate Cross where she, she her <laughs> first long tour. I think it was probably a month for a World Cup. She didn't handle it well at all, right? And and you do those things do happen uh, quite a bit. So I wasn't as surprised as everyone else, but I could I imagine most people because they just see Meg Lanning the great and just think, well, she's going to play until she can't cut anymore. Hmm. I mean, we've had this conversation before as well, in which you mentioned how female athletes, they mature earlier than their male counterparts. And there's evidence in the fact, right? Meg, of course, made her debut for the Southern Stars at age 16. So her career was still quite long. Like that's still 12, 13 years. Hmm. And, uh, you know, there's not much that she hadn't achieved. I think I'd say she'd achieved everything, right? Because uh, she had finished with 241 international games. She had led in captain or as captain in 182 of them. And she was at the forefront of one of the most dominant teams in the history of international cricket. So her saying that she's lost the spark and motivation to perform at that level in international cricket, it does kind of add up. Yeah. Also, I'm not at all suggesting she's going to make a comeback. But it wouldn't surprise me if she spent two years off and then went, maybe I will. Come back, mm-hmm. right? Like, like yeah. that, that also wouldn't surprise me. But, but yeah, I think uh, when me and uh, when we did that podcast on Rodinka, trying to think of when it was two or three years ago, she was already an all time great then. Like, there aren't many cricketers who are all time greats like in their mid 20s, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, what, Warren Tendulka are two that probably come to mind. Um, it's not really a thing that you see all that often. Uh, and she was already there. And yeah. once you've achieved that, I think it, and I think, I think she's a real cricket person. I don't, I don't know if she likes all the other stuff that comes with being one mm-hmm. of the world's best cricketers, right. but I think she's a real cricket person. She loves that, but she maybe doesn't love the press conferences. She maybe mm-hmm. doesn't love being an ambassador for women's cricket. She maybe doesn't love having to talk about Australia day, you know, and, <laughs> You know, which is an issue in Australia at the moment, of course, and and all those sorts of things. I don't know if that that is a Meg is what Meg Lanning likes. I don't think she likes being famous. I have no idea what she's going to do next. But like, if you told me she went back and coached at her old club, Box Hill, um, and did some consultancy work um, uh, of coaching, and that's all she did, she didn't even play franchise leagues. She didn't worry about anything else. She just did some of that. I'd be like, that makes sense, right? Hmm. And for someone of her level. That's quite a step down, but I could see how that is where she would sort of, you know, um, focus her time um, on that sort of stuff. So I think she's built different to 
Elise Perry. And it's I don't think Elise Perry's like a fame hound or anything, because Elise Perry's kind of level headed from from everything I've seen. But yeah. Elise Perry likes, you know, you know, likes interactions with people and likes mm-hmm. to be in front of a camera and, you know, likes to chat and all, all just basic things, right? Like yeah. every every athlete is different. And Meg was certainly on the far end of the other side. If it was just cricket. Maybe she plays until she can't do it anymore, but it's not just cricket, especially at her level. Yeah, that is interesting perspective because it's not the burnout you're suggesting from the cricket is what got to her. It's all the other stuff. And, and that's yeah. quite an interesting uh, take. And I mean, and it could obviously... be the cricket as well. Because when yeah. she started, it's think about when she started, there wasn't, there just wasn't this much cricket. And now there mm. is. So yeah. that, who knows if it's like, I, you know, she starts her career playing once or twice a week and now it's her job. Um, and and it's completely changed from what she thought it was going to be. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about her cricket now. Let's uh, rewind the clock. Uh, it was just her second one-day international when Meg smashed an unbeaten ton versus England as Australia chased down 214 uh, with nine wickets in hand. She became the youngest ever Australian uh, cricketer to score a ton and also went on to score 16 more for the Southern Stars. Uh, Ten of those came whilst chasing. So can we say that she was the Virat Kohli of women's cricket in that regard? Yeah, I think they're very similar. Obviously, very different kinds of people. But I think there is something within her batting that reminds me of him. So so she's also obsessed by Kohli and and Ponting. And I think Kohli is quite based on Ponting as well. I think they're very Mm -hmm. similar. You know, whether it was subconscious or conscious with him, I don't know. But so there's obviously some sort of grouping there that that can be made. But I think there's something specifically within her batting where she's so fiercely determined that once you just say to her, you need to do this, it almost like releases her a little bit more, right? So Mm -hmm. it's almost like the opposite of someone like Steve Smith or Shivner and Jan Rapal. They just want to bat, Yeah. right? You look at Lanning and she wants to get to a total. She wants to impart an impact. And I think in one day cricket and T20 cricket, it probably makes more sense if she bats in the second innings for something like that. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, there's actually a video as well of Cricket Australia. Funnily enough, you brought up how she admired Ponting uh, and Kohli. When she was asked to build her perfect batter, funny that I was building mine a little while back and now we're talking about Meg building hers. Uh, she chose uh, Ricky Ponting's authority. Virat Kohli's competitiveness and Ash Gardner's aggression. And it's Mm. weird how that pretty much, when all combined together, kind of describes Meg herself. (laughs) Yeah, I I found that fascinating. Also, because Ash Gardner's, I'm assuming, quite a bit younger than her. I don't know how old Ash Gardner is, Mm. but, you know, it's weird to pick someone who was younger and also kind of more of a, what, all-rounder than than a specialist batter. Um, uh, But, yeah, certainly when she was younger, she had that kind of, attacking nature like there was a couple of a couple of times where you look at her early stats and you're just like oh my god like she was playing she it's a bit like you know dropping peak lance klusner into a or, or shahida <laughs> freedy into t20 cricket and just go what on earth is happening here mm-hmm. um and she was miles ahead of anyone else um but the when i interviewed her the reason i asked about ponting was it was just i couldn't even watch her mate and not think of ponting Right, mm-hmm. you know, in in the same way of, you know, and so you know, Steve Smith wanted to be Mark War, right? Mm-hmm. You could watch Steve Smith for a million hours and Mark War for a million hours and never make that connection, <laughs> right? But then yeah. sometimes you see Ollie Pope and Ian Bell, and you go, "Wait a minute, here, these mm-hmm. look suspiciously um, similar type players." And you watch Michael Clark and you watch Michael Slater and go, "Hang on a minute." You know, some players just look a little, you know, a little, they, they replicate their heroes in certain ways. But there was just something about Meg Lanning that I just assumed that Ricky Ponting was her hero. And, you know, and, and you could see it. And the fact that she that that she talked about was, now, was it his purpose or his attitude that she say it was? Authority. Authority. I, know it was, I, hmm. it was, I knew it was somewhere around there. Um, yeah. That's the thing I think is most noticeable. It's f- fierceness with both of them. Yeah. Right, yeah, and what's and what's the bit of, as well? Yeah, just they just know what they're trying to do, mm. right? And every batter is motivated by a different thing, and it's why I've always compared Ponting and Coley is that they are almost like zealots. It is really about something bigger than just that. You know, callous 
is certainly, well, is a better test batter than either of those two guys. But Callis mm -hmm. batted because he batted, right? That yeah. was his big thing. And I, that's a perfectly reasonable thing. That's not Coley and, and, and Ponting. There's something else there. Um, and what was the thing she got from Coley? What was the one that she had in uh, Competitiveness. Yeah. And then so there's that me, story of her from uh, the 2017 World Cup, right? With Stefani Taylor. Recount that for us. <laughs> Maybe so the competitive thing that. will come in. Remember that cricket is a funny game. 100 years before we protected our heads, players looked after their groins. So don't be as stupid as old cricketers and protect your computer today. NordVPN is the protection I use when facing cyber shortfalls or when rights issues try to dismiss me. NordVPN will help you get through the straight bat of any geo blocks so you can watch all the cricket you want. If you need your pitch changed, well, NordVPN can doctor any surface to a new location so that your IP address is set up for you to win. Want to buy an associate cricket shirt from a place that won't ship to your country? Select NordVPN. Want to watch a game on a free stream in another hemisphere? NordVPN. Or if you just want to watch a clip on social media that a cricket board won't allow you to, promote NordVPN to pinch it for you. So if you need a VPN, go Nord. Use nordvpn.com forward slash Kimber to get a huge discount off your Nord VPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link is in the show notes. Protect your computer like a cricketer protects its nether region with Nord VPN today. I was covering that World Cup and I and I must have covered a game somewhere else. I think it was at Taunton? Yeah, it was at Taunton. And so I had to drive from somewhere else that, that day to come to come down. And I got there after the toss. Now, I've been covering cricket for a long time. I can promise you, I don't miss very many tosses. And when I have missed them, they have not mattered. <laughs> <laughs> and this one, I think I was coming into the ground as it happened. And it was just like, and it was all going off. Then there was video footage and everything else. But essentially, what happened was, I think it was Stefani Taylor was the West Indies captain yeah. at that point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she made a mistake at the toss. So when they did the toss, she said that they wanted to, you might have to correct me on the details, that she said that they wanted to bat first at the toss. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's then what she, she went said. Off, she told the match referee and uh, and Meg, Meg that she wanted to bat yeah. first. Then she went over to be interviewed by uh, Ian Bishop. Mm. And she said to Bish that they were going to bowl first. Mm. Now, you can imagine already, it's like, and we've seen things like this before, you know, the old Javid Mean Dad um, uh, stuff of, uh, I said heads in Urdu, you yeah. know, and, you know, all these sorts of tricky things, right? We've seen all that sort of stuff before. Um, but this was not any of that. It was just clearly mm. she had made a mistake and she was trying to correct it. And I would say the vast majority of captains in the world, regardless of gender, would probably be like, and look, you won the toss, you misspoke, but obviously mm. you want to do this. I could be wrong. I, it doesn't happen very often, so I don't know. But I would assume Meg Lanning was having none of it. And Stefani Taylor was desperate for this, right? Hmm. And it would, have, it would have taken nothing from Meg to just go, um, look, it's fine. Just do what you want to do. We'll beat you anyway. No, 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 no. And I remember <laughs> someone from Cricket Australia was out there. Uh, their, the Cricket Australia, I forget, I forget her name, but... She's um she's been following the uh, women's team uh, for quite well. That was 2017, I think. So certainly for for quite a long time. And I remember her just being like, "Well, no, she's perfectly except uh, you know she could do whatever she wants." And I was like, "I'm not. No one's saying she can't do what she wants. We're just all a bit shocked that she went <laughs> at, at it so hard." But in Meg Lanning's case, was she just saw Stefani make a mistake, so she's mm. now capitalizing on that mistake. That's all it was. It was as simple as that. And I think that. You know, that is certainly something you see of, of landing all the way through her career. Hmm. So we can expect her to, if she ever does make a return to cricket, maybe she'll scream at the stumps one day. But um, anyway, in the same World Cup against Sri Lanka, she had one of her greatest outings ever with the bat. Of course, this is the game in which Sri Lankan, you know, living legend Chamari Atapatu, she scored a world-class 178, grabbed headlines left, right and centre. And it seemed like Sri Lanka had set Australia a total, which will be a steep pass for them. It was a, yeah. going to be a record chase if they got there, uh, in World Cups specifically, right? And uh, Meg found herself at the crease in the third over. Australia were five for one. And she finished the job with an unbeaten 152. And, you know, there was never a question of an upset, whereas it was supposed to be a tighter game. 
And I just want to ask you, would you say that that is her greatest knock ever? Because, because there are a fair few mm. contenders over here. There is her 133 not out in uh, Chetl- Ch- Kemsford, uh, which was a fortress for England back in the day. And she basically denied England any hopes of an Ashes win. And then she also scored a 50 ball, 103 versus New Zealand in 2012. And, you know, before women's games were televised at the rate at which they are right now, she had scored the fastest 100 in ODI cricket ever for a female batter as well. Uh, 45 deliveries, a record which still stands today, set by a 20-year-old Meg Lanning. So which mm. innings is it, Jared, that is the best of all of these? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. There's an innings where I saw her make, I want to say 70 or 80-odd. Um, and it was on a... I, I, I'm positive it was on a wicket that was doing something against mm. South Africa and Marazan and um, uh, what's their other quick bowler's name who just retired? Shabnam? Um, yeah, Shabnam. Shabnam Ismail? Yeah. They were just bowling really, really well and she just made them look like they were non-existent. Hmm. But I'll be honest, I don't know with when I think of Meg Lanning and it's weird because we just talked about Ponting and Coley. Ponting is someone I felt like I could, I've got like four or five innings. I'm not sure I have it with Coley hmm. because to me, the intensity and the way that he plays is there so often that I'm not sure I have that. That I mean, I was there when he made the 200s in Adelaide. Yeah, that's what I was abs- going to talk about. Those which is absolutely amazing. Right? Yeah. But at the same time, if you ask me if that was the best Coley had batted, I'm not sure I could answer that. And the same hmm. way with Meg Lanning, sometimes the way that, it, it almost felt like she was always batting well mm-hmm. in a different way than Ponting. So Ponting didn't feel like that. Ponting felt a little bit more wavy, right, at, yeah. at different times. Um, and, um, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know if I have a great answer to that, but I do remember that South Africa, and I, I'm trying to remember where it was and whether it was in a World Cup as well. Mm. But the one thing I would say is we she only made 1600s, right? And I say only for for a very good reason. There's two reasons she didn't make more hundreds. One is that women don't play enough, mm. right? And if she played yeah. more, she certainly would have got more. The other is for a good part of her career, like the women's scoring rate is just a lot slower. So actually mm. making a hundred in some of those and, you know, a, a, you know, is not quite the same. It's, it's the same as if you go back to the early uh, men's one day cricket, there weren't as many hundreds made as there are now. Yeah. So, I, for me, I just feel like there's just a bunch of 70s and 80s that I've seen her make mm. that almost blend together. Um, and I'm not sure I have like a big one. The other thing I would say is for the most part of her career, they just weren't in trouble. True. Right. So go, let's go back to that Coley one. Hmm. 200s in a test match, losing away from home. Yeah. It's like, you know, the Phil Hughes test match show was, even, you know, it's just like, it's absolutely huge, um, and you could go through bunches of, uh, 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 you know, of 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 those sorts of situations. Um, so yeah, I just find, feel that it's a little bit different in that way. But I suppose it is the Sri Lanka one. But hmm. may, she maybe made hundreds against better attacks. Maybe it's the Chelmsford um, one um, hmm. uh, that you talked about there. Um, uh, but I just feel like that she was so dominant in so many different um, times that I don't know if I ever felt that, like, oh, this is the Meg Lanning innings, you know. Yeah. And and so some batters are like that, right? Like, it's harder to almost yeah. remember their peaks because they kind of feel like they're consistently peaking. Hmm. And I mean, for those of you who are either listening in or watching this on YouTube, you guys let us know in the comment section below which one you think was Meg Lanning's best knock ever. And uh, yeah, you also made a tiny mistake over there. The 1700s, not 16. So oh, 17, not, sorry. But, yeah, but my, not that less either. Still what, a fair what, amount of hundreds. Exactly. But hmm. what would Alistair Cook have made? Four, hmm. 35, 40 hundreds in professional cricket? 30, 30 something in tests for sure. Yeah, and I'm, and, but, but 30 in tests, I'm trying to think if he made any in one day as well. Maybe like two or um, three. Five so in tests. He, is, he made five. Yeah, you're right. Thir- so 38. So I wasn't far off, right? Hmm. Now, Cook makes his debut in 2006 and retires Not in 2018. Good. Yeah. Right? Do you That's see what I mean? Hmm. There's a, and, and wasn't particularly good at one of, the, one of the formats. 
well, two of the formats, yeah. right? And she doesn't play tests, so she doesn't get to cash in as much in tests as she probably should have. Um, yeah. And she doesn't play as much one-day cricket as as mm. you know some some other you know any 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 male player of her level. So mm. and then they don't score as quickly. So you know there's all all these different factors. I just it's just an interesting thing when you look at it. Of um, it, it seems to me like a really comically low um, record. For mm -hmm. someone who's just as good as her, but if you go back and look at some of the other women, of course you'll see, see that they played even less, right? Like you know, yeah. they 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 weren't they weren't involved at all. So, I mean, she plays two hundred and thirty odd international. Two forty one, two forty one international. I was, games, yeah. Sorry, yeah, you just said that before, didn't you? Uh, I just mm -hmm. want to have a look. So, Alistair Cook probably plays. I know there's more innings in Test cricket, so he plays about the same. Right, uh, maybe maybe just a little bit more, but you double but that playing, pretty much, right? Because he's an open because of test innings, yeah, yeah, right. Um, so it's just it's just an it's we have to factor all those sorts of things in. I think when when looking at that, because especially in our in our world, you know, we spend ninety five percent of our time talking about men's cricket, right? Like for mm -hmm. me, outside of a women's World Cup, they just aren't that it. I would love to cover like a great test series of like three mm. tests somewhere, but they don't really play them, right? So, yeah. you know, we had that ma magnificent week a couple, uh, a couple of weeks when India played back-to-back -back tests recently. Like I thought that was great. Um, unfortunately, by the time I started covering the first game, it was over and the second game overlapped with something else I had to do and off I, off I was again. But, you know, we, we, they just don't get those sorts of opportunities. And sometimes when you look at these things, you go, well, you know, uh, only 1700s but you need to understand the full context of which she played yeah and plus like there's just not enough data with respect to test cricket and women's cricket so th that's uh, an area unfortunately that can't be you know there's no deep dive over there as such because there's just not enough sample sizes how but many tests did, you, did she play do you know five six something like yeah, that she played six tests like how embarrassing is that she was, yeah. because she only averages, I don't know, 30, 31 or something in How many cricket. did Mithali, Mithali play? I think she played a few more. There's, I, I yeah. did this recently. There's actually quite a few women who played around um, 20 or 30. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of English women before one day cricket sort of takes over. So Mithali uh, played in 12. Um, yeah, so double but, the amount then or, or yeah. more than that. Uh, but but there are a couple of women sort of before um, uh, yeah before it sort of um, one day cricket and then I suppose T Twenty cricket uh, takes mm -hmm. over where there's certainly um, a lot a you know just a lot more um, going on. But for the longest time, like obviously Susie Bates has never played right, so there's there's a yeah. lot of things out there that just haven't happened at all, mm -hmm. and these players just yeah. haven't haven't managed to do anything at all. So um, it's it's quite sad. But yeah, there's, there is a few women around the 20 to 35 mark, I want to say off the top of my head. And and it's incredible that Meg Lanning and Mitali Raj are not anywhere yeah. near those marks. That is quite incredible and quite tragic at the same time. You've mentioned her scoring rate a fair few times now in this podcast. So let's jump right into it. And in T20s or T20 internationals, actually, in 2014, Meg averaged 50 at a strike rate of 145 where the next best strike rate at that time was 122. So she was way ahead of her time, Jared. But her style wasn't like the prototype explosive power hitter that you see today. She was dominant no. in other ways, which makes her quite unique in that. Yeah, I mean, in a bit of a way that like Tom Bradman was quite a fast scorer. She's a bit mm -hmm. more like in that kind of level um, where it's just like, you can't really, I mean, we talked about before, you can't really stop her cutting. So she's going to get that away. Mm. She's a brilliant runner between wickets as well. She's got boundary, you know, a few other boundary um, options available to her. There aren't really types of bowling that are going to keep her down for a long period of time. So she's kind of more of a busy player. That said, if she came through now, I think she would be an out-and-out um, fast girl. I think she would be... Uh, you know, a, a sort of a women's version of AB is that combination of peak batting skill with uh, the ability to clear the ropes and 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 everything else. But her era, she probably ends up becoming the player that they wanted, which is that sort of high scoring, um, decent fast player. Um, whereas like now, you probably go, well, it, you can average. 
35 with a strike rate of 120. Why don't you just do that all the time in one day cricket, right? Like, so I think that she's almost a product of the era that she played in a little bit there. But she's so for someone who's not like a power player, she's a very yeah. fast scorer. Thanks to the kind folks at FlexiSpot for looking after my office and my butt by sending me their E7 Pro Desk that save your favorite desk heights at a touch of a button. You don't have to crank anything. This thing just finds the height that you like and you can work. And their BS12 Pro Chair that supports my posterior while I'm recording, well, this ad and all my shows. If you need great desks, especially ones that change heights or the best quality chairs, head on over to FlexiSpot. Oh, absolutely. And those numbers suggest that. And, you know, she wasn't the most technically sound batter in history or not even the most elegant or powerful. And there are other batters who have scored more runs and more hundreds in women's cricket. But at the end of the day, she has amassed 8,352 runs. She's got 17 tons and 38.50s. And she's the only woman in women's cricket history to have the combination of a 50-plus average in ODI cricket with a strike rate north of 90. So, yeah. this is also in addition to being uh, the only women's cricketer with more than 500s in a chasing effort in ODIs. And, you know, looking at all of that, you'd have to say there is a solid case over here that Meg Lanning is the greatest ever or the GOAT, as we call it today. Yeah, I think I think someone will quite quickly go past her. It might be Phoebe Litfield. It might be mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, the Wolf from South Africa or, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of good batters coming through um, around the world, younger players coming through. And I think one of the reasons they'll go past her is they'll just play more cricket. Yeah. And um, and I think that is the, the big difference that we will see. But that's probably the case with lots of old women players where they were probably fantastic, but we didn't actually see enough of them. Either it wasn't broadcast or they just didn't play enough or, and all that sort of stuff. And also, where as we get to professionalism, we will get women start to play more and more 15, 20 year careers like we see in the men's game. Um, and so people will just amass counting stats beyond what Meg mm. does, right? So I think all yeah. of those things are definitely a, a you know, a possibility of happening. You're right? saying someone will steward broad her. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> you know, and there might also be players of a similar level to her that end up looking like they have better stats just because, mm. um, uh, you know, j- just because that is, um, you know, the game is moving forward and 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 they're playing more often. But you you know, you look at it when you when you said she's the only player who averages over fifty in uh, one day internationals with a strike rate of um, over ninety. I think in the history of women's cricket, there's only um, three players off the top of my head that I can think of who average over fifty in one day cricket with more than two thousand runs anyway. Oh. Right, so Matali is one, and as good as Matali was, she just can't compare to all the other things that Lanning did. You know, the, the quicker scoring and rotation mm-hmm. of strike and everything else. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, um, it might be Beth Mooney might just have have her average. Uh, above, I know, no, Be- it's not Beth. There is another player, and I've now forgotten mm-hmm. who it is. But there just aren't players who average over fifty, right? So it's going to take a while. For someone to average more than 50 in one day cricket. Like, I, I don't want to compare it to the men's game, but I want to compare it to the men's game in terms of we know that over time it's become a lot easier to average over 50 in one day cricket than it used to be, right? So, is yeah. it Michael Bevan is the only player who averages more than 50 in the first, um, uh, before the year 2000? Or, you know, the only player who played before the year 2000, I should say, who mm-hmm. averages over 50, right? So, right. Since then, there's been a whole host of players that have done it. So, and, and that's just because there's been a genuine run inflation. Yeah. Yep. Like yeah, it just, yeah, it, it, it's easier, and we're going to see the exact same thing in women's cricket. Um, oh, it's right. Oh, at least Perry's the other one. So, at least Perry, yeah. Meg Lanning, Beth Mooney, and Matali Raj all average over fifty. Right. This is a lot of these players are really ultra modern. Hmm. Yeah, like Matali didn't retire that long ago. Uh, you know, uh, Elise Perry and Beth Mooney are both active. They could both still drop under 50 as well. Yeah. Of course. Uh, um, and um, and Meg Lanning obviously has just retired. So in one generation, we've suddenly seen people make a lot of runs with very high averages. That will continue, right? Mm. In the same way that Virat Kohli's 
uh, record looks better than Viv Richards's record when you look at average and the total amount of runs that he's made. Um, yeah. But you have to factor in other things. Like Viv Richards was playing one-day cricket completely different to anyone else in his mm -hmm. particular generation. And I think that's where I come to from Meg Lanning. Elise Perry is that fine all-rounder. And, you know, we all think that she's fantastic. Matali Raj maybe has the most pure technique I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Beth Mooney, absolute star as well. But Meg Lanning is better purely as a batter than any of those players. And I don't mm. think it's all that controversial to say that. But if people keep playing the amount of cricket they're playing, you would think it just naturally, you know, um, it, she is uh, um, overshadowed soon. And I think that's fantastic because if you think about great batting, again, in the men's game, where we have more runs and more of a, a linear thing, WG Grace comes out. And then Victor Trumper comes. And while Victor Trump is still there, Jack Hobbs comes. While Jack Hobbs is there, Bradman. That's the, that's the sort of arc we're at in women's cricket at the moment, right? Hmm. So is she Victor Trumper, right? Is she is she Jack Hobbs? I, I don't know where she fits on that that kind of early timeline of, of women's cricket, but that's where we are. We're at the start of women's professional cricket, of, of major women's cricket, right? You know, that, And that's not slagging off the great, you know, Myrtle McLeggins. It's a great name mm -hmm. as well, you know. Betty Snowball. <laughs> they had some fantastic names. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying. But but they played once every now and again, right? Hmm. This is the first era, that, a bit like what happened with W. G. Grace, where you just have proper cricket all around mm -hmm. the world happening all the time, and then it goes on and on and on. And we're already seeing that in the women's cricket. So I just hope that Meg Landing is always remembered because the next woman might make the next woman batting superstar might make thirty hundreds, right? Yeah. Or twenty five hundreds, or what? What? What did Meg make? Like six, four thousand, five thousand runs in one day cricket, um, you know. And the next woman might make eight thousand or ten thousand, right? Like yeah. that's where we're going. But it's important to remember that in this first era of professional cricket, I think Meg Lanning was the best bat um, in the world. Yeah, I suppose that's fair, and there's solid rationale behind that as well. And I mean, I really like that parallel you drew over there with the the Grace Trumper and Hobbs thing because you know, ten years, fifteen years down the line, there's a solid podcast over there running those parallels together with respect to the women stars that we've had. Uh, but anyway, we all talk about Australia's women's team as you know of the last generation, may I add, because they've been losing a game here and there uh, pretty much. Uh, you know, ever since Lanning retired. <laughs> but Bayram uh, says Australia is finished. <laughs> but basically what I'm saying is that you could very conveniently say that Meg's success was somewhat expected because it's that Australian team. But you have to also look at the fact that you have to deal with that expectation. And there's a lot of pressure. And if you still win as much silverware and have those stats that Meg does, you've got to doff your hat off to her because we all know that the expectation is you know, there when sporting teams are good. But to live up to that expectation and rise above that pressure, that definitely deserves appreciation. So in, I hate talking about men's cricket when I'm talking about women's cricket, but I don't, mm. there isn't just the historical precedence of some of these things. And that's why I want yeah. to bring this, this one up as well. The West Indies completely dominate test cricket from 76 through to 95, right? Mm. They win two World Cups in that time. Yep. I don't think this is talked about enough. In test cricket, over a period of time, the talent will eventually get you through. West Indies were definitely the best one-day side pretty much all the way through that reign, the same as they were the best test side. But when you get to World Cups, you only need to lose a couple of important games and suddenly mm -hmm. you're gone, right? And, you know, a couple of, you have a couple of bad days, yeah. a couple of bad tosses. India, in India 2023. Yeah, we've just seen it, right? Mm. And so... I think, and I was there in 2017 when they lost. And I remember trying to get a question out because I was trying to fathom how they lost. I knew Harman Preet had gone nuts in that semifinal, mm. but I couldn't really understand. Like, I was trying to work out why they thought they lost, I mm. suppose is the best way. And, I, and it was Meg and it was Matthew Mott, who's now England's um, men's co uh, white ball coach. Yep. And no matter how, I asked this question like three or four ways and they just couldn't fathom it. And there was a part of it was maybe I just asked the question poorly or maybe they didn't quite get where I was coming from. But also I think there was a period, a, a thing of they didn't quite know how they lost, right? Mm -hmm. And I think after that period to pick themselves back up and go, you know, you know and, and become dominant again, they have so many advantages. 
you know, the professionalism, the, the coaching structure and all that sort of stuff. We both know that. But they did become unbeatable. And there's a difference between being really, really good and winning a World Cup every couple of years and becoming unbeatable. And you have to credit her for that as much as anyone else in that setup because I think she was a big driving force behind mm. that. And that goes back to the Ricky Ponting thing, right, of just like yeah. wanting that that kind of impact of every single game I'm going to be so dialed in. Mm. And I and I think that that's the difference between being a great team who wins a lot and being an unbeatable team. And they were touching that unbeatable side pretty, you know, they were they were flirting with that. Yeah, I mean, that's the difference between greatness and excellence. And she was striving for that excellence. I mean, look at her record as captain. 76% win rate in T20 internationals. 88% win rate in ODIs. Mind you, 181 games. That's the number of games she's captained in across formats. And that success rate is leaps and bounds ahead of any other skipper. Uh, and, you know, these are otherworldly percentages. Even in the men's game, people don't have these sorts of percentages. Not even close, right? And under her, Australia also set the record for most number of consecutive wins in ODIs, where they did not lose between 2018 and 2021. 20, uh, that was 26 consecutive wins. She has five world titles to her name as captain. And this is discounting the Commonwealth Games gold that Australia won in 2022. And, you know... Um, it is by and large one of the most successful captaincy careers that we've seen in all of cricket, both men and women combined. And uh, she, that's why I'm saying this again, I'm coming back to my, my earlier point, it maybe have been a case where she really doesn't have anything left to achieve. She's done it all. I think if you win more than 65% of um, T20 games hmm. for a year or two years, let's say over a 20 game period, you're a great T20 side. What was her number again? 76. Over a career of of a lot of games, right? A lot and what was the, of games. And what was the one-day number? 88%. <laughs> I mean, with one-day cricket, if it was 65, I'd probably put it around 75. And she's, mm. again, just she's not even close to that mark, right? Mm. It just, white ball teams should never be that dominant, right? Mm. Over a long period of time. Um there is, it's, it's, that is, they, these are games that are shrunk to make them more random. Yeah. Right? That's part of the and reason. She's, she's lost only 12% on that. It's just, so it's just a remarkable thing. And um, I think the system gets more credit than her. And I think that's fair. I think the talent gets more credit than her. And that's fair. But I think she took what would have been a great side anyway and made them, um, and, and helped them achieve basically unbeatable status. And yeah. I think that's a really important thing to remember. We speak of Bradman's Invincibles. Well, hopefully history books will also speak of Lanning's Invincibles because that's exactly what they were. And, you know, I have lived through that era where, you know, late Bradman's 90s era. to... No, not Bradman's era, but the great Australian team of the late 90s and early 2000s. And they seemed invincible many a times. But this was probably even taking that one like up by another notch so it really is incredible and it wasn't just the on-field brilliance as well but you know off the field if you think of Meg Lanning she was a vocal advocate for equal pay and uh, pay mm -hmm. parity across genders in Australian cricket and then also she led from the front as an ambassador even if she wasn't that sort of person that you're describing her to be people looked up to her you know there's that photo of all the Pakistan girls circled yeah. around her, looking at her as if she's some sort of demigod, which she probably was to them. Like she's at that level where she's achieved those, you know, uh, excellent marvels in the game. And then also very, very generous right. with her time for both opposition players and fans. Tons of yeah. selfies and all of that stuff. So that's quite draining and she's done pretty well on that front. So I can't remember what it was, but years ago I wrote a piece about her for Quick Info mm -hmm. and her sister reached out to tell me, you know, to thank me for the piece. Mm. Um, not long after that, I can't remember if it was a podcast or that, that same piece, but um, uh, people from her cricket club reached out to me to thank me for the piece. And then we did this video uh, feature um, that came out recently and her parents reached out mm. to thank me for the piece. Lovely. Uh, I remember Wright Thompson, you know, the great sports writer, was me and him were chatting once and he said the phrase, I, I, I like this person. They come, it's clear they come from good people. Hmm. Right. It's a very Southern American sort of thing to say. <laughs> right. But I, I, you know, it, 
it's quite clear that she does, right? Hmm. And, you know, it's, it's important to say she's from Melbourne, but she's from the east of Melbourne, so I don't really, you know, they can all go to hell, obviously. But um, there, there is a um, – she just seems like a good person from good people with good people around her. And, you know, at a certain po- point you kind of judge someone a little bit by that and then you match mm-hmm. that with all their actions, as you just said. It's like, you know, you – I think – I don't think Australia has had quite the woman's player yet hmm. that has the that has the star quality to pull the game more into the TV. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm trying to think of you know a Virat Kohli type personality or a Shane Warne type personality hmm. or Brian Lara. You know those sorts of things. At least Perry, obviously you know, absolutely brilliant. And she gets press con- content everywhere she goes, but she's not like, <laughs> she's just not a natural person to bring in like casual fans or, you know, she's not controversial. Mm. She's not a great saleswoman or anything, anything like that. Right. That, that's, that's okay. She's not supposed to be, she's a cricketer. Yeah. And I think Meg Lanning's even less of all of those things. Mm-hmm. And yet she's been thrown into this role and she's done it in a Meg Lanning way. So she's done it professionally. She's done it with purpose. She's done it the best way that she can. Um, and, you know, I, so I do think that's a really important thing to remember that she still did it, even though she probably just wanted to be in the nets, mate, for being honest, yeah. practicing a cut shot. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I think purpose is the word that really stands out over there. And like, sure, she was generous with her time with respect to fans and uh, opposition players, but also she was donating cricket equipment. So she was contributing to the game at large in that sense as well. And, uh, you know, it's funny. When Meg was growing up, she idolized Ricky Ponting. That was someone who she looked up to because obviously women's cricket was not, not even remotely as professional a sport as it is today. And it wasn't even aired on the telly as frequently. Mm. So it's not like she could have, uh, in theory, idolized a female cricketer, right? Because it was just the men that you'd see on TV. And after 12 years of playing international cricket at the highest level and achieving everything that there is to achieve, pretty much, she has left the sport with women's cricket, obviously growing at an exponential rate now, Mm. highly televised. And now young girls will look up to her and they'd want to be the next Meg Lanning. So she's kind of come full circle over here. Yeah, I I remember interviewing Charlotte Edwards and I said, you started playing cricket and no one was watching the games and you were playing for England at a really young age and everything. And now you sit in front of me and you go into schools hmm. and you can say to, you know, young girls in schools, if you want to be a professional cricketer, you can. Hmm. That must be just so bizarre. And she yeah. was like, I still can't get my my head around that as a as a thing that I can tell, you know, some young athlete I see in the park – you, you know, you're pretty athletic. You, you should play cricket. Maybe you could make a living playing cricket. And, you know, with Meg Lanning, for me, it really was the whole, that, that's always been my thing with her, is that Elise Perry's almost separate because Elise Perry's like, I think Elise Perry would have been quite well known in Australia before this era. So mm-hmm. there's an Australian woman called Zoe Goss who got Brian Lara out in a charity game, you know, really good mm-hmm. all-rounder, very photogenic, Right. You know, all the things that she needed to be, but great athlete, obviously, as well. Really talented cricketer. And Zoe Goss was kind of known, right? Whereas mm. there were other better players that weren't, weren't as well known, right, in that era. Yeah. And Elise Perry was, you know, if she was going to play football for Australia and cricket for Australia, and she's going to be Elise Perry, chances are she was going to go out. Whereas Meg Lanning is the sort of person that A, would never, like, chase any of that other stuff, mm-hmm. right? She's not a natural for it. Yeah. She, the only way you're going to see Meg Lanning is going to be out in the middle batting, right? And on top of that, she, as we've already talked about, she was out in the middle batting for like twice as long as anyone else, hmm. right? She's averaging over 50 in the top order, doing it in an attractive way. Like, I mean, you know, picking gaps and running hard and scoring fast, like all the things you kind of, you know, are looking for. Um, uh, from a player like her. Um, And in some ways, I still think Elise Perry is the superstar of Australian women's cricket. Mm. 
But I'm not sure that anyone can grow up w- trying to be Elise Perry because, you know, you kind of, it's, there's a super, it's kind of like trying to be, you know, su- Superwoman or Wonder Woman, right? <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. like, it's, it's impossible, right? Whereas Meg Lanning, there's an element of, well, if I worked hard, hmm. right? So she's a different kind of, she feels to me a lot, much more relatable. Meg Lanning is the human, right? In the mm. way that um, Elise Perry is, is, is not. And one of them seemed destined for greatness and the other one was desperate to be great. And there's, yeah. there's a big difference between those two things. Mm-hmm. But the most important thing is you have someone who went out there and was fierce in their batting and composed and professional and ruthless, right? And that is kind of what we think of of Australian cricket already. And to have that as a woman who absolutely dominates on TV as often as she was, I just think the ability to change cricket is is huge through Meg Lanning. And um, I, I think it's it's I, I just hope in the next generation. I don't care if women still grow up wanting to be male mm. cricketers because I remember um, coming back from a women's big bash game and there was a bunch of young boys and they were talking about their favorite women's cricketers and how they wanted to play like them. And you mm. just know that there are young boys who've grown up watching Meg Lanning going, I wonder if I could play the cut shot like that, right? <laughs> like mm. that's where we're at. And uh, my generation, I couldn't really tell you how Belinda Clark batted and she yeah. was great, right? You know, and there were heaps of them. Whereas, like these young kids growing up now, can be going on and on about you know Meg Lanning's running between wickets or a cut shot or that toss or whatever it may be, mm. and you know her her being a part of that, but also being so driven. I just think mm. it can really change uh, the way the game uh, goes ahead. And some of it has nothing to do with her. Not her fault they started putting cameras on. It's not her fault that she sort of mm. joins just as professional cricket happened, but she completely took to the game. And because of that, the next generation will have, I wanted to say Meg Lanning posters on their walls, but I don't know if you can get like sporting posters anymore. I don't know if, if that's still a yeah, thing in the modern world. I haven't seen that in a long time, actually. You know what I mean? Like when we grew up, that was a thing, right? But I don't know mm, if Now that, it's like a but, uh, wallpaper on your cell phone. That's what I was just about to say that. I was mm. thinking that was probably the thing, right? You have a wallpaper <laughs> on your phone. But I think that's the, that's the thing now. And, you know, uh, one thing I really wanted to be clear on is, yeah, okay, she might be the greatest modern-day batter and she may be the greatest batter, you know, that has ever existed in, in cricket. But I think it's really important that she's a face, hmm. right? She's legitimately a face of cricket in whereas other women's legends were names. And that's a big step forward. And you match that together with – I just don't think you can watch Meg Lanning bat and not be a little bit, I, I'm trying to think of, impressed. Impressed is the word, right? And, and yeah. I think that's such a huge step forward again um, for women's cricket. Yeah. And I mean, of course, when you're a batting great and a batter of Meg Lanning's stature, people will grow up idolizing you. That comes with the territory. But what you mentioned, I think, was really important over here is that the drive, the hard work, the, mm. you know, a persistent, you know, chase for that that excellence the winning. really yeah the winning as well that she just she's relentless when it comes to those things and it'll give every young kid hope that you know regardless of gender it could be a boy it could be a girl that if we work that hard maybe we can achieve what meg lanning can achieve so to conclude this podcast then jared would you say that that is her overall legacy as a sports icon when you look at both her on-field brilliance and her off-field stuff like there's, there's a I lot of impact for- over there right yeah, I think for me, she's the first professional great, hmm. right? And I mean that not just because she was paid for majority of her career, because obviously, you know, some England players have been paid for the majority of their career, and Elise Perry, um, you know, has been around before. But I think that there is, she's a professional in preparation, in playing. In watching mm. her, like everything's perfect, everything's relentless. You know, you know, sort of players we're talking about. You know, Coley and Ponting. You know, yeah. uh, you know, just fero- that, those sort of ferocious level competitors and everything else. And so, her being that level of professional, I think, is the most important. So, I'd say she's the first modern 
professional great. And it doesn't mean that Natalia and Charlotte Edwards and you know some of the great English players and South African players and New Zealand players we've seen coming through and Elise Perry and everyone else are not professionals because they became yeah. professionals. But she embodied that spirit and that for women's cricket is so important, right? That that there's just someone who is ferociously professional and thorough and exact and demanding and competitive and all those sorts of things. And you saw it every time she played, right? It wasn't, mm. she didn't turn it on when it was, uh, you know, it was tough. She didn't turn it on when, um, when, when she needed to, she was kind of like that against everyone all the time. And I do yeah. think there was something slightly different about her from that perspective. And I think that's the thing for me of, of, of what she can do. And, and, to go back to what you said before, she, I think she'll always remain a great of women's cricket, but I think yeah. she will. her record will be washed away by what will happen next mm. through no fault of her own. Yeah. But what, I'm impor- what is important for me is that, that the movement that she is the face of, right, mm. this is where it starts, right? Yeah. And when women's cricket was first televised, as you might remember, lots of people looked down on it. And talk mm-hmm. that bad about very, it. Till very else. recently. In fact, uh, just before Pakistan defeated New Zealand and New Zealand, a lot of people were like, why are we wasting money on the Pakistan women's team? That's the sentiments in different parts of the world still. Yeah. And that was the, that was when I started cricket, writing about cricket, that was the majority. Hmm. Right. Now, if you say that people make fun of you and, you know, it gets a little yeah. bit lost, doesn't mean people aren't going to still say it. Mm-hmm. Point B is that Meg Lanning is really at the beginning of that whole thing. Of It's very hard to watch Meg Lanning and not think you are watching excellence. Yeah. Right? And I'm not talking about natural talent or anything else. I'm talking mm. about the entire package, the way she mm-hmm. thought about cricket, the way she, she moved on the field, the way that she talked about the game, you know, the fierceness, the professionalism, the drive, all those sorts of things. Um, Basically, the devotion that she gave to her craft and pretty much dedicated every ounce of her energy into improving a game and winning. That That's exactly. Meglani to you. I think before that, what we had was women who loved cricket, who were great at it. Mm. I'm not, Meg Lanning loves cricket and is great at it, but it's yeah. that other thing, which is mm. that devotion to being the mm. best she could be every time she was out there. I'm hoping that is, the, you know, the spark, right? You know, the, one of the things with women's cricket is the vast majority of women who have been really good at cricket have loved the game. Way higher percentage of women love the uh, women at the top level love the game than men, and that's great because when you talk to them, they really want to talk to you about the game and they love it, and it's mm-hmm. all they think about. Whereas the men are like, "I wish I was a footballer, or I wish I played in the <laughs> NBA, or as a golfer." Right? Yeah. Meg Lanning, I think, loves w- cricket as much as anyone else. But I actually hope that she brings out this whole other class of professional women in her wake who saw her play and were like, oh, well, I'm a pretty good athlete. I'm going to mm-hmm. devote myself to cricket and see what I can do as well. And that's that. That's why I call her the first professional great, because I think she had every mm-hmm. single element of her professional um, available to her. And that's the thing that takes women's cricket we, you already said it's going through the roof, but that's the thing that takes it to that other level, the level that women's tennis is at, right? When yeah. the best women athletes see someone like Meg Lanning on the TV and be like, all right, I want to be her. Mm, definitely. And uh, I mean, I'm sure that those sentiments will resonate with all of our viewers and listeners as well. And on that note, let's uh, end this podcast and wish Meg Lanning, uh, you know, the best in her retired life. Of course, it's been a while now, but uh, here's to... Hoping maybe we'll get to see her someday. That again, if if it nothing, maybe in a, cha- at a charity game or something. But uh, yeah, absolute legend of the her. game. Yeah, and uh, will will definitely be a career that should be and will be celebrated uh, over the next many many years. And uh, yeah, thanks to all of you for listening in. And if you're still with her, with us over here, subscribe to this channel, subscribe to Jared's other channel, and we'll be back with another episode of Footmarks next week. For now, that is all. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are also many other extras as well, including a Discord channel where you can chat to me directly. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. We are an independent podcast, so support us 
any way you can. Maybe give us a review, subscribe, or share on social media. All of these things help us. And when it comes to podcasts, word of mouth is always the best way of making it grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Baram Kazi and Estelle Vasudevan. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston, and each episode is produced by Ishit Kaburka at Sound Potion Studio. Mukunda Bandredi, or Muku as most people will know, is the head of our YouTube channels, and he also helps out with so many other things like the podcast recording. And there's so many other people we could thank here, but I just want to thank all the listeners and all the people who help behind the scenes that make this podcast work. If you are a podcaster who happens to waffle on and you need a way to cut down your long-form content, Memento FM is here to save the day. They turn your lengthy media into bite-sized chunks for even the most time-starved audience. Start using Memento FM today.